Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hello, DBP. Hope everything's going well with you. Um, Sarah, today's an exciting day, isn't it? It's the best day. (laughs) And can you tell us why is that? We are going to get to interview... The wine godmother herself. I like that. Karen McNeil, author of the best-selling wine book, The Wine, the wine Bible. Bible. Yay! Yes. Which should not be unfamiliar to you guys because we quote Karen all of the time on DVP. And we use it in a lot of our research and just brushing up on our own knowledge ourselves. It's a bedside book. Oh, it's a bedside book. I see I like it with a glass of wine and I don't generally drink wine in my bed but it's true it's true but that's why you have two copies (laughs) this is also true (laughs) and now and now another copy of the third edition the third edition so we actually have three bibles wine bibles in our house unbelievable yep um that's pretty amazing so yes very very exciting and we pre-recorded an interview with Karen McNeil. We are going to play it shortly, but we're also drinking something to kind of go along with our interview with Karen. Yeah, we're commemorating her third edition with a wine from Croatia as she added Croatia into this edition, which was not in her second edition book. So we decided to crack open a bottle of Debit from Bivich Winery in Croatia. I actually went there and brought this home. It's a So you decided that you would be willing to share it with me. Of course. <laughs> because you Who else would I share, share this wine with? <laughs> mm, maybe the other person lives with you, but still. Uh, no, I'm very excited that you decided to share this wine yes. with me. Yes. Uh, well, I'm excited to try it. And so unlike we normally do, we did pop this wine already. So we're going to go ahead and cheers We're going to cheers to Karen and the Wine Bible. Cheers to the excitement. Yes, the excitement ahead. Um, I thought maybe we'll do her interview and then talk a little bit about this wine. That sounds good. Um, Yeah, I've got no words, but... (laughs) It'll It'll be exciting. So make sure you guys get a glass of your fave, sit tight for a little bit, and we're going to play the interview. Thank you so much for joining us on the Drunk Bitches podcast, Karen. It's an honor to have you. We are very excited and very giddy about it. (laughs) It truly is an honor. We have quoted you so many times on our podcast. Um, We're really thrilled that you've joined us today. Excellent. I I am. I'm happy to be here with you. (laughs) Well, thanks. We do have our new copies of the third edition of the Wine Bible. We have the second second version, and we're already super excited about it. We've started paging through everything and reading through, including some of the new sections that you have. But one thing that we were wondering is, you know, we noticed that, of course, it's a bigger size. It's it's colored pictures, and you've got some new sections, including Croatia, which is actually we're, we're drinking a little Croatian wine right now. Wow. Hope that's okay. Yeah, (laughs) terrific. But can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are with the Wine Bible and how how else this new, this third edition has changed from previous iterations? Yeah, you know, the um, 
the wine Bible stemmed from my own, in a sense, my own need to have one really comprehensive book that was um, that was both easy to understand, but not necessarily for beginners only. You know, because wine is a, it's both simpler than most people realize, but it's at the same time, oddly enough, more complex than most people realize. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was always looking for a book that, that was a big answer to my hundreds of questions about wine. And when I was starting out, there really in America anyway, wasn't a book like that. Um, there were European books that were uh, kind of dry, wine fact after wine fact. And that wasn't quite right for me because what what made wine come alive was was all of the all of the the surrounding culture around wine food and history and art and religion and all the things that the behavior of people the culture in which that wine um, was made so I decided to write the book that I wished I had had and um, I guess I'm you know I'm a pretty determined person. The first wine Bible took 10 years to write. And amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, but but this one, the third edition, which just came out a couple of weeks ago, only took five years. So I'm getting very fast. <laughs> More efficient. Yes. I, I also heard I was watching another interview that you had done. And you had said that you just had boxes and boxes filled with you know, information that you had found out for the, that very first edition, because it kind of predated the computer, the internet and all of that. So I, the process itself has changed drastically, I imagine. You know, it has uh, tremendously. I mean, in the 1990s, people, you know, we, we are so used to um, working um, on and with the internet as a source of information we forget that that's actually it's very recent in the history of of everything that we right. had that so yeah i mean i have been to every wine region in the world and the first wine bible was was based on you know i don't know hundreds of notebooks filled with information from of going from place to place meeting producers um and trying to um figure out, often through phone calls, personal meetings, faxes, until I had, you know, 40 running feet of transpile boxes from every country in the world. Wow. And it's it was a huge research project. Now it's a little easier because of, of the internet, but but I still try to do all primary research, meaning that I don't look up a fact in someone else's book. I try to go to the source. Mm -hmm. And it can still be hard on the internet to find really the, the absolute, um, perfect, accurate source for a piece of information. So the Wine Bible is hopefully fun to read, but behind it, behind it is a, a very serious researcher who um, me who wants, who wants to be sure I've got the story straight. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's so commendable because even us, when we're trying to find some facts sometimes, and we go to, you know, Google or look at the wine website, 
from the winemaker, we can't truly find what we're looking for. So your book, your Bible has really been a source of truth for us. <clears throat> and I think for Thank a lot you. of listeners out there as well. So we actually have some questions just about your own wine tastes. Um, we read from an interview once that you used to drink a glass of champagne every night. Is that still true or what's your go-to wine? That is still true um, because uh, a glass of champagne or sparkling wine is, you know, I, I sometimes say it's, it's, it is um, critical to marital harmony to, um, to have that. Uh, and I should tell my husband that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, he doesn't have to have a glass, by the way. No. Just you. Just but, yep. um, Yeah. But but California, you know, if you think about California sparkling or or even champagne, um, you know, in my local supermarket, you can buy a bottle of champagne for thirty dollars. That's six dollars a glass because you know we forget to divide by five. There are five glasses in every <laughs> bottle. Sometimes and we divide after, by four. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Mm -hmm. But after a long day of work, I mean, who doesn't feel like, you know, $6? I think I, I earned that today I and earned having that. So, I mean, I might go on to having a, a different wine later that night with dinner, but I almost always start with a glass of sparkling wine or champagne. And if I'm working late, actually... Everyone in my office is so spoiled rotten because we open champagne all the time. If if everybody if it's five o'clock, all of the employees are saying it's champagne time. Oh, I, I feel like that. we need yeah. to come work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, You're invited. That's yeah, yeah, that's that I love that. Um so do you have any new features of wine or new locations that keep you excited? Um, how do you decide what types of new things to add to the book well the world I, of wine as you know is 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 enormous mm -hmm. now um in fact you know most books now specialize in um you know there'll be a book on pinot noir from new zealand or something because it is hard to be a globalist any longer the world of wine is so big and so many fantastic wines are coming from places that 30 years ago you wouldn't have thought places like China um, mm -hmm. like uh, Great Britain I mean it's uh, it's a it's a big world now and I don't know I I love that fact because I I feel as though the best way to learn nothing about wine is to continue to drink what you already know you like <laughs> so the fact that the wine world is big and 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 you can just sort of, I don't know, place yourself in this giant world of flavor discovery is is fantastic. I mean, um, you know, there's there's nothing really else like wine. I almost can't imagine a life without it because simple as it is, it is so intellectually intriguing and so pleasurable and just so sheer delicious. Why would anyone not have wine? 
<laughs> it like speaks volumes for what we what we think about here at DBP. And actually, you know, you touched on something that is, I think, really important. And we've both learned ourselves and try to impart on others in our own personal lives and just on the podcast. But, you know, if you've tried one Merlot, you've tried one Merlot, right? There are, if you hated it and like you, you shouldn't strike Merlot forever and ever and ever, right? I can't believe I'm using that reference from sideways. (laughs) Anyway, um, but the whole point is that there's so many other places that make it, so many other producers that make it in a completely different manner that you can't just, you know, put your whole, bank your whole impression of a varietal on one wine and even one vintage for that matter. But I, yeah, I think that that is, wine is continually evolving. Wine is, I think it's an an opportunity to explore the world without having to leave your home essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I, when I don't like wine, just to, to echo what you're saying, when I don't like wine, when I write, you know, whatever on a tasting <laughs> note, then I, I say to myself, immediately say to myself three things. Here are the possibilities. One, you're not paying enough attention right? Because sometimes we dismiss wine without even really giving it our full attention. So then I'll go back and really focus on it and see if I was giving it um, its sort of just due. So that's one. Two is that it truly isn't a good wine, okay? But three is maybe I haven't tasted enough of this yet. Yeah. Because, yeah. because wine is many styles of wine are what I call rite of passage wines. And they're very much like food in that regard. Most people did not love raw sushi, the first bite they took of it. But the 50th bite, they're like, ooh, yeah, I want the, you know, I want the uni, uh, right? You you, you <laughs> grew into it. And, and wine, um, I always say, you, you sort of have to hit 50 baseballs. And once you hit 50 baseballs, then if you don't like it, okay, I believe you. And it's just not your style. It's perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I agree. So I think you're touching on a great point about wine tasting evolving. Um, and I think that's definitely happened for us, even when we listened to some of the first podcasts that we did a few years ago to now. I mean, our tastes have evolved com- together, actually. And things like, you know, Riesling that you, you read sommeliers like to drink Riesling because their tastes evolve and things like that. I mean, I, I, I really think that we have found that ourselves as well, but you have this quote that, and I, I'm going to, I, we always quote you, so I'm (laughs) going to quote you to you, but um, you have this quote that uh, I love at the end of your chapter of Mastering Wine about about wine and the end, but really the beginning. And you say the capacity for pleasure, the capacity to be thrilled by wine is ineluctably tied to understanding it all in its most basic and fundamental details. And anyone who can drink good wine and anyone wealthy enough can drink super expensive wines, but without knowledge, the soulful, satisfying part of the experience is lost. And I mean, I think that embodies basically what we've tried to do. And going to that point, you speak so well in your book about wine. <laughs> your descriptions make us laugh and 
some of them are so just on point. So where do you come up with that? Like um, Sarah <laughs> reminds you of a guy who wears a cowboy boots with a tuxedo. I mean, I <laughs> just love those those descriptions. And I think there's no other book you can go to that does such a clever job. So I'm just curious as how you, how creative, how your creative juices flow with this. Thank you, first of all. Um, <laughs> you know, wine, wine is hard to describe, right? It's very hard to describe. And, and most people um, wind up using um, metaphor or simile, you know, a wine tastes like lemons or it tastes like chocolate or it tastes like, I don't know, a pair of leather gloves, but it has to taste sort of like something. But once you do that, you over and over again, you you realize that you now have these just lists of, well, wait a minute, how many wines in the world can taste like cherries? 10,000? Right. And, and you can never, you don't really remember what that wine was like. So I spend a long time really thinking about a wine, not, not just quickly jotting down, uh, you know, cherries, chocolate, et cetera, but really thinking about what, what emotion does it evoke? What place does it hold in the world? How would I remember this wine or, or this grape? And so I've, I've taught myself to not be lazy in a sense, and just write down the first thing that comes to my mind, but really uh, agonize over how to, how to describe wine well, because, um, because it's hard to do. And I, I guess I like doing things that are hard to do. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly seems like it. Um, and I think you know, your descriptions seem to personify the wine and talk about an experience and a feeling like you just said, an emotion too. And that's amazing. I know we're coming up towards the end of our time here with you, Karen, which is very sad for us, but I know you have many other things to do. But can you talk a little bit about if what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to kind of break into a little bit more of the wine and maybe expand the horizons? Obviously, besides getting your book, well, sure. that would be number one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, my advice would be, um, you know, it's as you both know, it's easy to be overwhelmed by wine, right? Because you walk, all you need to do is walk into a retail store, look up at 12,000 wines and think, oh my God, what, how, where do I start? How do I do this? So my, I've always... Um, I've done this myself. This is how I learned. And I think um, it's worthy of thinking about as a way to proceed, which is when you go into a store, it can be a digital store. It doesn't have to be a bricks and mortar store. Just choose one place. It could be any place. It could just Spain, let's say. Mm -hmm. And for the next three months, only drink Spanish wine. Just go back to that same area in the store, only drink Spanish wine. At the end of three months, you'll realize, hmm, you know, you have a kind of feel for the flavor now, the flavor profiles of various Spanish wines. Yeah. And now move to something entirely different, New Zealand, let's say. And for three months, only drink New Zealand. Don't drink anything else. And you wake up three months later, you're like, okay, I sort of get New Zealand. And if you do this very uh, um, 
you know, specifically taking yourself around the world, you will wake up in a year or maybe two years and you'll be like, wow, I really get it. I really know the flavors of these places. So, um, and I think it helps to not let yourself become overwhelmed because you can do it. And by the way, it's a blast to do. It's really fun to do it that way. I mean, twist someone's arm to drink some wine, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess we I should get our list going. I, <laughs> I think that's excellent advice. I never thought about that. I mean, we have our collections, both of us, but I think that's a really interesting way to think about how you can actually just immerse yourself in one particular country's wine. And that is learn so much from it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you both have something else that's really critical, which is a partner, a wine tasting partner, so much more fun than just having wine by yourself. And as you know, you learn a lot from your partner, just talking about wine and sharing it. Absolutely. Well, we have learned a lot from you and we thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. Congratulations and and best of luck with the tour and everything. All right. Thanks ladies. Thank you so much, Karen. Cheers. Okay. Same. Cheers back. Cheers. Bye. Wasn't that so much fun? It was fantastic. Amazing to relive. Um, It was, we were so excited at the opportunity to speak with Karen. And I think we're just like really giddy girls about it. (laughs) Made me feel like I was in like fourth grade excited about, I I don't even remember what I was excited about in fourth grade. But this was a, (laughs) this is definitely uh, something that will go down in my mind as a very memorable afternoon. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that I've listened to her speak several times and reading her book, but I still, I mean, I learned so much from that 15 minutes. Yeah, I know. She is always, she always has at least a tidbit to impart upon anyone that she speaks to about wine, any, any page that you turn to in her book, there is something new and fascinating. And I think that that is why she is a best-selling author in a world where there are so many books about wine already. Right. I think that she very clearly kind of stands apart or, and this wine Bible stands apart uh, from other books. Yeah, it's just very unique in the sense that, as she said, it's comprehensive. It's and it's a, she's a serious researcher behind it, but you still have that humorous twist. And oh, yeah, it's still so enjoyable to read and not, not there's so many wine books that are very dry. Totally. And it's not like that at all. It's um, and they have their purpose, right? Those yeah. books have their purpose. They're more like a textbook like that from school that you need to read, you know, something that you would take from school or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So should we talk about this wine? Yes. Can I actually have a little bit more? Of course you may. Okay, so like we said in the beginning, this is debit wine from Bibich Winery in Croatia in honor of... Spelled um, like a debit card. Yes. D-E-B-I-T, in honor of Karen adding Croatia to her third edition of the Wine Bible. So what is debit? Uh, I know it's kind of funny, and I'm not going to talk too much about the grape because I think, honestly, the the winemaker is more interesting in this case. Um, I mean, first of all, before growing in Croatia, have you ever heard of debit? No, 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 no. Okay, me either. And no. I was like, I don't know if that's just because I'm living under a rock or if that's be like there's an actual reason. And this turns out to be an indigenous grape, right? Well, they think so. It's so, first of all, this is a white wine. Oh, fair. It's a white grape. Good point. Um, 
they think that it is indigenous. However, it could be, they don't really know the history of it because likely due to the volatile nature of Croatia itself. Mm. Um, so they've lost, they think, a lot of the history. So debit, they think, is from, is like a tax because they think it's because Napoleon used to take a debit from the people. And so the Croatians... They decided to pay taxes through wine. Oh. Right. Oh. Um, so that's where they think the name came from. However, its alternative name is something I can't really say. It's a Croatian name. It starts with a P. But that it's roughly translates as a person from Apuglia, which might suggest that it's Italian. So we don't really know. Oh. Um, but it's assumed that it originated in Croatia. So yeah, it's they think it's native to North Dalmatia. It can be used as a blending grape. This is a single varietal. Bibich also has a sparkling with debit. I'm just looking at this name. You don't want to try to pronounce it? Do you? Go for it. I'm just going to say Puljizanak. <laughs> okay. Good job. That's way better than I thought. Just spell I it phonetically. That's, 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 so I, which means I probably butchered it because it's probably not pronounced yeah. phonetically. Oh well. Um, but anyways, it hasn't. It hasn't typically been like a high quality type wine. It wasn't very prestigious. However, in the 1990s, some producers started. They they used to do extended maceration. They started producing it in a different manner, where it became have more bright acidity and more mineral mineral minerality types of character, which is what we are experiencing with this wine. Um, Bivich himself, oh, yeah. this is his favorite wine to drink. Um, and this is, this bottle, he has like different levels of wine. Okay. This bottle is, is like more of his like staple wine. It's like not, every day. Yeah. It's not there. We do have some of his more higher end exclusive wines. Um, but this was like more of your just everyday wine. Um, so Bivich himself is probably the most famous producer or well-known at least in the u.s name in croatia yeah half of his wine is actually imported to the or exported to the united states oh uh and so that's got to be in very specialty wine shops though right but think. if you're gonna see croatian wine most of the time it's bibich okay. a lot of people know it from anthony bourdain's show mm-hmm. he went there and visited visited them but it's it's a family boutique winery i've been there it is very cool um it's actually in the town of Plastova, which is a tiny village north of Split. Um, it's 10 kilometers away from the Adriatic Sea, but it's it's high. It's 200 meters in elevation. So you're actually, when you're driving there, you're like kind of going uphill. Oh, um, you don't want your car brakes to go out then. It's like, on the way down. right. It's kind of hard to find too. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, did you... When you went to Croatia, remind me, I know we talked about it before, but did you like spend a whole afternoon there? Like, were you planning to hit many different stops in Croatia? So for wine, you mean? Mm -hmm. So actually, we did spend a whole afternoon there. We were trying to do their taste. They do a like lunch tasting Mm -hmm. and we, we didn't have reservations for that. So we just went there and did a wine tasting. Okay. We actually, and I think I've talked about this on a previous podcast, we stumbled upon driving out of Bibich. I don't remember where we were going, but we stumbled upon another small family-owned winery that we ended up having a blast at. 
So it just this goes to show you. familiar to me. So yeah, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. it just goes to show you how the unexpected can happen. And, you know, we had so much fun. And it was harvest that day. Oh, so cool. And we were in the backyard of this guy's wine, family-owned winery. And they were bringing us wine and everything. And it was harvest. Like, we were like, we can go, you know. <laughs> we don't need to interrupt like you right now. Lot to do. And they were just so <laughs> hospitable. Oh, my goodness. Um, but... Anyways, Bibich is a family boutique winery as well. Uh, it's produ- been producing wine for several generations. Um, the first wine for the family goes back to the 15th century that they can trace to. Um, and they've had some interruptions because of, you know, political circumstances, wine, war- or wars, wine, uh, and wars and things like that. But after the Second wor- World War, Peter Bibich, who was the grandfather of, I believe, Alan, started again more seriously and with production and marketing of wine. Mm. And he did, he dedicated it in the beginning exclusively to debit wine. Oh, so interesting. So this is really like the flagship yes. grape of this yep. particular winemaker. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I thought it would be a good one to drink today. I mean, how often do we have an opportunity like this? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's really recognized as a different and unique wine. I know his mission, he really wants to make, elevate Debit and make it a very well-known wine. Um, so it's funny because I think I liked something on their website here. They, wines that do not conquer at first are not always friendly and fluffy, but wines that you remember and think about long after you have tasted them, that's their goal. So um, it's kind of interesting that they, that's the, their personal stamp that they want to have. Um, so yeah, I mean, just a really cool experience, a really cool place. <laughs> Such an interesting yeah. concept. Okay. But um, he also wants to bring, so Scradine is like the wine area, um, and they, he wants to bring the wines of Scradine to international prominence and sustain this long tradition of white debit and, and their red Zinfandel, um, which is, as we know, Zinfandel is really the the Kurjalnik original wine something, some yep. dag or something like is, that. Yeah, the original grape is from Croatia. Yep. So, yes, it's it's pretty cool. Um, their reds are. I think he has like a like Ronish type examples for mm-hmm. his red blends, which would be right up your alley. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Um, but he's received, you know, a lot of acclaim. Uh, again, he's pretty well known. He looks kind of young based on the picture. That yeah, I don't I know saw. when that was taken. I mean, yeah, good, fair point. I'm not sure how old he is, but um. So, anyways, yeah, do you, I don't know. Okay. What do you think? Okay, so first of all, when you initially poured this wine for me, I I don't know what I was expecting. Number one, but number two just the color of it it's very vibrant yellow yeah and golden it's golden straw Mm -hmm. golden straw it's and it's very clear it's it is a lovely color it looks like it would have a very big powerful flavor and i do think that it does uh you get so much like citrus fruit and i don't know there i just feel like it's like if I'm if I go get a cocktail that has like a lemon wedge, okay, let's pretend I like martinis. Don't they uh-huh. also don't they put lemon peels in there too sometimes? Sometimes, sure. Okay, so Garnish. I feel like that is what I'm tasting in my mouth. Okay, like as if I'm just eating the garnish on a. Is it good? It's it's kind of different. Yeah, 
It's very acidic. It's very bright. It's very acidic and brighter. Yeah. I like the wine. I think it's unique and interesting. And I can't say that it's not like there's nothing else like it out there, but it's, I don't know. It's surprising to me. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely refreshing and it's a little got more of a creamier mouthfeel than I would expect. You can even get that on the nose a tiny tiny bit. But um, I like it. I think it's a good table wine. I think it would be really amazing if it was super cold. We have had this bottle out for a while. Yeah. But this to to me is like, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm Karen. (laughs) It's if you had the yellow M&M in stilettos, this is the the wine she would drink. Actually, yellow is a peanut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a pretend. Okay, bad. I oh, bad example. Better example, the yellow skittle. Uh, okay, or yellow starburst. Uh-huh. Yeah. How's that? Okay. Oh, the starburst. Yes, mm-hmm. starburst. I'm I'm on board with You're the starburst. Board? Okay, uh-huh. so it's like a yellow starburst in stiletto heels, wearing shades and carrying a little parasol. So it's like kind of refined and classy with a creaminess feel, but it's also very pointed, very acidic very bright just like the yellow starburst and a nice pair of stilettos there you go right okay there you go yeah you're you're honoring your karen right there <laughs> my inner karen your is coming inner out karen is coming out so before we totally wrap i do want to know karen has a newsletter that she sends out weekly it's called wine speed and has a lot of amazing factoids has really i think timely information has little quizzes if that is up your alley I subscribe to it. I think that we would recommend that all folks do just to get a little extra wine knowledge in your corner, in your mailbox. Um, okay, that's all I had to say. <laughs> all right. Well, I will be subscribing to it. And so I think you guys should too. Yep. Huge thank you for listening. Huge thank you to Karen for joining us. Yes. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.